hear God's word to us this morning from the very beginning of the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The word of the Lord. God, we do pray that as we hear your words spoken, um, preached, read, uh, that just as it has creative power um, over creation itself to bring things into existence in the same way, your word would bring to life, to existence in our hearts, uh, truths about you, uh, healing, deeper faith, deeper love, uh, deeper awareness of you um, as the knowledge of you and your steadfast love that, that spreads throughout all of creation. So be with us this morning and teach us, instruct us, encourage us by your word and in your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In my community group each week, I've made a habit of sort of test driving sermon material on my community group. So I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to have a Bible study on water this Tuesday. And uh, as we were in the midst of that study, I asked the group, um, you know, what spiritual significance does water have in your life? And one of the members of our group who's a medical doctor uh, said that it's very hard for her to think about water in, you know, spiritual categories because of her training as a scientist. When she thinks about water, uh, she thinks uh, as a scientist, it's H2O, it's these particular compounds that interacts in a very specific way and does very specific things in the human body. Um, the idea that water has a spiritual meaning uh, or theological meaning was not, uh, not something she disbelieved, but just was not something in, she instinctually um, went to. Let me ask you the same question. So when you see water, what meaning does it have? Now, this is a leading question because this is a baptismal font. And we just baptized all the way in it. So you know it has to have more meaning than just, just plain water, right? And I think that for most of us, when we come to church and we see a baptism, you know, we can shift gears and we can believe that there's something special about this water um, during this moment. But usually then when we leave church, it just goes back to being plain old water. Bread goes back to being just plain old bread. One of the goals of this series is to help you cultivate a sacramental imagination of the world. And what do I mean by sacramental imagination? A sacramental imagination is, is seeing all of created things, all of created life as, as full of God. It's not God, like in that it is God, but full of the presence of God, full of the reality of God, something that's always pointing towards God's presence. Um, last week, I was teaching on the presence of God, and I think, again, when we think about, in English, we hear this word presence, and we, we think of, like, the force in Star Wars, right? It's this impersonal presence that's around us and surrounds us, and I think 
that's often how we, we think of God's presence. But the presence of God is, is, is much, much more. It's a personal presence. It's an intimate presence. It, it's a presence of created things that evokes for us uh, joy, uh, deep moral purpose within creation, uh, life, all these things. Isaiah, the prophet, says that the whole earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. This sense that the presence of God, the knowledge of God, is within and, and sort of pervades all things. Uh, do you guys remember the, the movie now, over 20 years old, The Sixth Sense? Right? With the little boy that can see dead people? I can see dead people. That's what he says. Right? Um, he can see these ghosts or these dead people. He can actually have conversations with them. Nobody else can see them, but he can see them. It's a little bit like a sacramental imagination, but instead of seeing dead people, you, you, you have this extra dimension of, of vision and perception of the reality of God within creation, within the world. You have this spiritual perception of the world that, that lends the world a different meaning, a different purpose, a different feeling than what other people who don't have it. You see more than what other people see. There's more to this water than just H2O. There's, there's something special about it, right? That's what I mean by sacramental imagination. Why is it that so many of us um, love uh, fantasy films or books or video games like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or the multi, you know, the, the Marvel movie multi-universe. It's because these universes are enchanted places, right? That's filled with adventure and purpose and a kind of magic that makes things interesting. How many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, have been playing uh, the new Legends of Zelda game all weekend long? Have lost yourself? in the world of Zelda. It's a fantasy world, right? And, it's, and there's something attractive because our world sometimes feels so flat, so cynical, so ordinary, so without mystery or enchantment. What if I told you that, it would, that there is, that world does exist, that world of mystery, that world of, of adventure, of deep moral purpose, of enchantment. That world exists. The world is full of the mystery of God, the mystery of his presence. But what you need is a sacramental imagination to see it. John Calvin often spoke of creation as the theater of God's glory. This is a major theme of his. It's the theater of God's glory. He says that the whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness and wisdom and justice and power, and that the church is the orchestra, the most conspicuous part of that. Imagine creation is this place, it's theater, that is, displays the glory, the wisdom, the justice of God. And baptism is the doorway into that world. Remember um, Chronicles of Narnia? In the lion, the witch, in the wardrobe, and the kids, they stumble into the room and they find the wardrobe closet and they go through the wardrobe closet 
and they're in Narnia, which is this completely, uh, it's a parallel world. It's not an all, it's, it's a parallel world to the ordinary world, but it's a, a place of, of magic and enchantment and adventure that calls them forth into a different way of living. That's like baptism. Baptism is entering through a doorway into creation in which creation becomes not just nature, becomes a kingdom of God. And it's no accident that the sacrament of baptism calls our imaginations back to the original creation. The same elements that are part of baptism are present at the original creation. Um, look at our verse again. There are three elements that are present in baptism, that are present in the beginning of creation. Water, spirit, and word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God spoke and said, let there be light. Jesus, when he's baptized by John in the River Jordan, we see these same three elements of water, spirit, and word. When Jesus was baptized, this is from Matthew, when Jesus was baptized, immediately when he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This morning, I want to reflect with you a bit about on the sacrament of baptism in the light of creation. And the reason I want to do this is because um, as Christians, modern Christians today that live in this flat, disenchanted um, world that doesn't have God's presence in it, we struggle a lot to connect what we do here in this hour, hour and a half with the rest of our lives. It's like we live in this split-level duplex in which the top floor is heaven and God and spiritual things, and the bottom floor is kind of where we live the rest of our lives, and they kind of don't interact with one another very much. And I think this is how we, we experience our spiritual lives, that there's this, this big disconnect between our understanding of God as the creator and God as the redeemer. We believe God created all things, right? And yet, it seems like that work is, well, that's something God did in the past, a long time ago. We believe it by faith. And that when we think about God as Redeemer, when we think of God as, as saving us, it's spiritual. It's spiritual things. It's heart things. It's soul things. It's forgiveness. It's heaven. And the, the, this is true, but it's hard for us to see the connection between creation, God as the creator, and God as our Redeemer. And the sacraments in that sense are like a bridge. They're a bridge that help us bridge the gap of our experience. They are a doorway of the imagination. The sacraments help us understand that all things participate in God's redemptive action and purposes for creation. Now, what makes a sacrament a sacrament is not how that physical thing, like water or bread or wine, become props or mere illustrations of salvation. They do illustrate. They do uh, do the work of what we call a sign. They point. But in the language of the sacraments, or the language of the confessions, the, the sacraments, they both sign and seal. The signing aspect is the way they point to something beyond themselves. But the sealing aspect 
has to do with how they actually make that reality happen. What makes a sacrament a sacrament is understanding how material things come to participate in God's salvation. How material things, under the right conditions, actually can become vehicles of God's grace. For God's presence, for God's mystery. And so when we baptize, when we baptize little Elwin, it's not just a mere ritual. God is doing something. God is making promises just five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, to this child. You are my child. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. It is a promise of forgiveness. It is a promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit. God does something. These things are not empty. They are not mere rituals. God's gifts are offered to us in the sacraments when we receive them by faith. But the chief sacrament of the church is neither baptism or the Lord's Supper. The chief sacrament of the church is Jesus Christ. Think about this for a minute. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, sacrament. In Jesus, human flesh comes to participate fully in salvation. When Jesus ascends into heaven, and he is there now, mission accomplished, he achieves salvation for the world. He doesn't throw his body to the side. It's not disposable. Jesus in heaven still has a body. He still has humanity. And all of creation, all things, are reconciled and made new through his body. The material and the spiritual are joined perfectly, redemptively, in the body of Jesus Christ. And the sacraments that we celebrate at the table and at the, at the font merely come out of, in a sense, that body. They connect us uniquely to his body. So let's return just in our remaining time to this theme of water. What significance does water have? And I think it's helpful to dive a little bit into how the meaning of water in the Old Testament, especially in our text. So look again at our verse, verse 1. So Genesis depicts the primordial stuff of creation as water. The earth was formless and void, right? That's the tohu vavohu. And the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the imagery here you have in, is that you have the preformed creation, right? It's like this watery glob in the, in the, in the solar system of just of, of chaotic mess of water. And it is out of this water that God begins to create. And if you were to read on in chapter 1, it's God begins to speak in the second day. He says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So here we have God is separating waters from waters, which becomes heaven and earth. And God made the expanse, separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse. And then God, in the next day, creates again with water. Let the waters... Under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. So God is creating with water, out of water, with water. What's the meaning of this? What's the deeper purpose of this? Well, very simply, without water, there is no life. I mean, water, life emerges from water. 
We, we, recently they found water, traces of water on the, on the planet Mars, and this fueled all kinds of speculation about the possibility that there could be life on Mars. Why? Because of water. When a child is conceived within a womb, that child lives the first nine months of its life in water. It breathes in water. It's incredible. <laughs> As our doctor friend said, who does a lot of deliveries, she's like, we have a hard time understanding how it is a child makes a transition from living in water into air. It's a very complicated thing. I was like, yeah. But life begins in water. And this is one of the reasons that baptism is associated with spiritual birth and new life. Because in baptism, the water we receive is the equivalent of new life. But the association of water is deepened even further when you go to chapter 2 in, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Water becomes associated uh, not just with life in the, in the physical creation, but water becomes associated with life that comes from um, the presence of God. Remember, Eden is a place, if you read the description, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's got mists, you've got rivers, it's, it's a moist place where things grow. And it's not just for the flora and the fauna, but it's also for human beings. And we learn that in Eden, there's a river that flows out of Eden that divides into four different rivers, and it goes out into the world. And it's significant, remember, that Eden is the temple. It's the holy of holies within creation. And that water goes out of Eden, the place of God's presence, to water all of creation. And there's this association here between the presence of God and water. And as we'll see later on in the Bible, that the Holy Spirit becomes associated with life-giving water. And this is what Jesus says in John 7, when he says, out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. In other words, he's saying that in the, the rivers of living water is the Holy Spirit. I will put the equivalent of Eden in your heart. <laughs> You won't have to go find Eden somewhere in the world. Actually, I'll put Eden in your heart by my spirit, and it'll flow out. Without it, without water, we cannot survive and flourish, but with water, we thrive. But once we get outside the garden, once we're living east of Eden, water takes on a whole new meaning. After the fall, we are exiled from the garden of Eden, and we go east of Eden. Water remains a source of life, but then water develops a more ominous meaning, and which is, it becomes also a source of death. In the time of Noah, the earth it was overcome with evil and wickedness, and uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, and I will, whom I have created from the face of the land. And the way that God chooses to do that is through a flood. Seven days and seven nights it rains upon the earth and the waters rise up past the mountains. And it's significant that it says it's seven days and seven nights because this should re remind us of the original creation. The flood is a kind of uncreation. It's God undoing what he had, did once more for the sake of judgment. Then the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily that on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. And the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering the 50 cubits deep. And all flesh died. 
that moved on the earth, birds and livestock and beasts and swarming creatures that swarm on earth and all mankind. In the flooding waters of the earth, God returns it back to this primordial kind of chaos that it started with in which nothing can live and survive. Water becomes a sign of judgment and death and cleansing of the earth. So the same waters that bring life bring death. And we'll see this pattern repeated again and again in the life of the people of Israel, that their, their salvation, the, the, one of the primary metaphors for understanding how God saves is he delivers us through water. Remember the book of Exodus, how it begins. The people are in Egypt. They're enslaved by Pharaoh, but God is making them fruitful, and they're, they're, they're growing in population, and the Pharaoh is nervous that the Hebrew people are going to outnumber the Egyptians. So they, he has a decree to drown all the children in the river. Moses' parents refuse to, to agree, and they stick Moses in a basket, and they push him out on the river. And lo and behold, the daughter of Pharaoh finds this infant, takes him into her own house, and raises her as her own son. And that word basket is actually the same word ark that's used with Noah. That in a sense, little Moses is put on this ark in the Nile River. And the one who was saved and delivered through the waters will, if you know the story, will eventually be the one that leads the people of Israel through the Red Sea out of Egypt. And the same waters that the people of Israel go through become the waters of judgment for the armies of the Egyptians following after them to take them captive. When water, when water is depicted in the Bible as stormy seas, as a metaphor... It, it, it sort of evokes the, the, what wickedness and evil and disobedience and death when, in creation unleashes, right? We've talk, I've talked about this the past couple of weeks, but disobedience um, and wickedness is a, is a, it's an act of undoing creation, undoing God's good creation. And so in the scriptures, often uh, with terrifying evil, is often associated with the sea. So think of when Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord in disobedience and he gets on the ship from Tarshish. The Lord stirs up the waters as a form of judgment. Jonah is thrown overboard and he goes down to the depths. In the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, you have these beasts that emerge out of the sea. Jesus' death and crucifixion is depicted again as going down to the depths. Jesus even uh, calls on Jonah and the figure of Jonah as a symbol of what he will endure in his death and resurrection. He calls it the sign of Jonah. He goes down and he is drowned in death and destruction. But like Jonah, he is miraculously resurrected from the depths. The waters of life and the waters of death and judgment together and in baptism, that's what we experience. The waters of judgment become the, transformed into the waters of life and salvation. But the reality is, is that it's not just water in itself that has the power to save us. So that is, there's a sense in which this is just water unless it's accompanied by two things, spirit and word. Water becomes saving with these two elements, with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God. The sacrament becomes effectual and gracious to us. 
I, let's look briefly and close at these two and how they relate to our own lives. So when the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right? So you have the Spirit is present at the beginning of creation, and the Spirit turns chaotic waters into living waters. When, when Mary uh, is met by the angel Gabriel for the announce, annunciation that she will be with a child, she asks the angel, like, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man, so how is it possible that I will conceive and this is what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will become upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Right? So in the same way that, that the water, the Spirit was hovering over the tohu vavohu, the, the, the formless void and chaos of the waters, and creating, the Spirit of God is hovering over the womb of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and Jesus is conceived miraculously. And at his baptism, when Jesus comes up from the waters, immediately we have this description of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down and resting upon him. The Spirit is associated with living waters as the creative, life-giving presence of God. Now, there's just so many different applications <laughs> to this um, this truth of the association of spirit and water in baptism. But let me just give you one. When we are baptized, God promises his spirit with us. It is the same spirit or the same presence of Eden, that spirit of life. The spirit is poured out upon us, and the spirit goes with us. John Calvin has this great... Um, Thing he says about baptism. He says, baptism is like a seed, the grace, right? It's like a seed that gets planted in the ground, and for, for months and months and years and years, it might, doesn't germinate or grow, but the water, the spirit, when the child grows, uh, begins to grow. And, that, and that's, that's the idea, is that from, from birth, um, through the whole of our life, to the very grave, the Holy Spirit goes with us, and the spirit grows us, and the spirit guides us, and the spirit is with us, and, and you might think of the, the, the Spirit as a sculptor of your, your very humanity in the same way that in, in the garden, when God creates the man from the dust of the ground, it says he breathed into him the breath of life, and that word is ruach, which is spirit. The Spirit sculpts the man, and that's what the Spirit does in our life. And we receive that Spirit in baptism, sculpting and shaping and directing our life. But the second is Word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Right? See, this is the, the repeated theme. Every time God creates, he doesn't just direct, just like mind directed or point. He, he speaks a word. And that word uh, makes something happen. But it does something really interesting. It names. It names. I'm going to call it light. I'm going to call it day. I'm going to call it night. Man, woman, land, dry, drowned, right? God is naming as he speaks, and it's the same with baptism. When Jesus comes up from the water, you hear the voice from heaven, and this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. For Jesus, 
God's word does not create his sonship. He's the eternal son. It merely confirms it. But for us, when we come up from the waters and we hear that word, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, it creates something that did not exist, a relationship. See, when, a, when our children are born, if you, <laughs> they come out of the, the womb, and by virtue of natural birth, they have a relationship with us. But because of sin... Uh, that is not the case in our relationship with God. We come out of the womb moving away from God. That's what original sin is. <laughs> you come out moving away from God. We live in this world as cosmic orphans. But in baptism, we're given a name. The name of the Father. And our name is Son and Daughter, Beloved. And with this name comes this promise of forgiveness. Baptism doesn't wash away all of our sins, but it is the promise that there's always forgiveness. There's always forgiveness because we're sons and we're daughters. This is the word spoken over us in baptism. So again, let's go back. What meaning? What meaning does water have? What would it mean for us to cultivate a sacramental imagination? A baptismal imagination? Let me just close with a couple reflections along these lines. Martin Luther said that whenever he took a bath, he remembered his baptism. And Kelly actually shared a lot of great examples as well. When you see a river, what do you see? A river that runs through the forest. Perhaps you can see a river like that ran out of Eden, which is the presence of God that waters the earth and waters your life. When you see a boat on the stormy sea, or you're on a boat in the stormy sea, which I know is not something that people seek out generally. Remember that God delivers you from the waters of judgment. When you see a pregnant woman, you imagine a baby in the womb of a mother, what do you see? Imagine how your own physical and spiritual life are born of the waters of baptism. Friends, presence of God is all around us. It's everywhere. The steadfast love is as high as the heavens, as faithfulness as far as the clouds. There's a sense in which God is through and through, all in all. But we need the eyes to see it. We need the grace to see it. And God gives us this grace and reminds us of this grace constantly and the promises and his presence in baptism. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you have given us these um, very physical, tangible reminders and means by which we can think about your grace, think about how you work in our lives. And I pray that all of us might uh, remember our baptism or, or perhaps long for baptism if we don't have it. Uh, know that your grace is for us, that you, you name us as your children, as beloved sons and daughters. May we live into that reality and may it be like a doorway that helps us to live into this world in a different kind of way, a way that is filled with your grace and your presence. We pray all this in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.